Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it. But you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. Come and visit us there so you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide hundreds of written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. If you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, you'll instantly gain access to all that information. As you know, each week we have a giveaway. Last week's winner of the Roses and Stones perfume was, I'm actually not sure how to pronounce this, a listener who signed up as Mavin, Maven, Mavin, with three eyes in a row, <laughs> right here in Massachusetts. Gotta love our tribe. You guys are great, even if I sometimes have no idea how to say your names. Anyway, in this Seven of Discs or Pentacles episode... We talk about one of its nicer aspects you may not have known about. It turns out this card is associated with Harahel the Library Angel, angel of books, treasures, the markets, and banks. So Mel and I have each written two books. So for this week's giveaway, we are going to have four winners. Each winner will get one randomly selected book, and we hope that the library angel will direct them to the recipient that needs them most. You can sign up as a patron and find out more about the drawing at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. If you're on Facebook, you can also connect with other listeners at Fortunes Wheelhouse Academy. That's the officially unofficial Fortunes Wheelhouse group where even now hundreds of listeners like you are sharing their love of esoteric tarot. You too could be one of them. Remember, you can always check in with me and Mel at our individual websites. I'm at www.tsusanchang.com. That's T as in tarot, susanchang.com, which is where you can check out my blog posts, my online class, my book, and lots more. My Etsy shop is at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. Mel's blog is at www.tabulamundi.com, and you can order her products at tarotcart.com. And we each have newsletters where you can sign up to hear about anything new that's happening in our worlds. Finally, if you have a moment and you haven't done it yet, would you please leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes? You can do it that way too. It's free, it's easy to do, and it really does help spread the word. Thanks for doing that and helping us out. And now, here's this week's episode. We've been riding on this radio wave forever. When are we going to trip it up? And if we come to a, a system's failure, I believe I'm the first one out. Okay. We have arrived at the long-anticipated Seven of Pentacles or Discs, the Lord of Failure. 
or success unfulfilled. <sighs> we procrastinated yeah. for like, <laughs> it must have been a half an hour before starting because it's something nobody looks it's forward heavy. to. It's heavy. So in the story of the world or universe card, which we've been talking about, we have conceptualized that as the return to the divine, the journey of the daughter or the maiden to her holy bridegroom or to the Holy Spirit, the reunification of the mundane and the sacred. In the Capricorn cards, we talked about the mastery of the built world. In the Taurus cards, we've been talking about the bridge between the worlds, the commingling of the divine and the mundane. And in the Virgo cards, we'll be talking about the legacy of the material world as we leave it behind. So in the five, we talked about the inadequacy of matter to provide for all our needs. In the six, we talked about the the practical application, the practical benefit of these earthly resources, what good we can do, material harmony. And now in the seven, we deal with the challenges again. So in the five, we anticipated them. In the seven, we have to solve and confront them, I guess, is one way to look at it. And we will not know um, whether we have succeeded. There's a, there's an unseen and invisible quality to this decade. Yeah. And the sense that some things are beyond your control. True. True. With Saturn ruling the final decade of Taurus, it's heavy and earthy and the outcome is buried. <laughs> How about failure versus success unfulfilled though? Well, well, I've never really enjoyed getting this card. And a big part of why, obviously, is the word failure. I personally don't like failure. I don't know <laughs> that anybody would or anybody does, but I particularly don't for whatever reason. So it really kind of pisses me off, honestly, when I get it and see it. I really like, in most cases, the way Crowley boils down the Golden Dawn names into one word. So instead of, you know, Lord of a two-word term, he he really gets them written mm -hmm. down. But I think, well, it's kind of obvious that you could say success unfulfilled equals failure. It's too fatalistic. It's too drastic. Mm -hmm. And I don't completely like it for that reason. And I think Libra Theta said the same thing in the footnote for this card. It says something like the, the word is too, too drastic or not appropriate because it should, what it really should be is the Lord of Success unfulfilled thus far. Thus far. Yes. Like it's not, and you know, full stop failure. You're done. You're, you fail, yeah. failed, you know, that you've not succeeded yet is right. a little more kind you yeah, know and also a little more accurate yeah you know and, and i think it's partly just that crowley had such a problem with sevens <clears throat> generally yeah you know he chose kind of the most negative keywords possible yeah sevens are always a challenge but it's not failure because there's always a recourse sevens are all about what you need to do to achieve victory you know the keyword for yeah for netsock being victory and in this case, in order to, you know, achieve victory, you have to realize that some things are beyond your control and also that maybe you need to change something about the way you're going about things 
because what your idea of success was wasn't appropriate and maybe you need to shift something. Yeah, I've often thought that a better keyword for this would be like assessment, you know, evaluation or perseverance. Yeah. You know, know, failure sounds like it should be a 10. (laughs) Yeah, it's not an end. It's not, you know, full Mm -hmm. stop. There's wiggle room here within this. Um, yeah. There is some sort of loss of like the labor you've put into something to date because it's not working out, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that's the end and done. Right. One and done. You know, you're One not, it's not that it can be, you know, loss of labor that you've put into something or something not coming out as good as what you thought it would, but you can move on from that and still work with it. Yeah, I think of it more like maybe failure in the sense of a part might fail, you know, a yeah. weakness of something that gives yeah, way. Yeah, there's a weakness in the system that needs to be addressed. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, you know, when you see that weakness, you can definitely have a loss of motivation. And maybe that's right. the failure that you lose your steam, you lose your your sense of motivation, but you don't need to. What you need to right. do is rethink what your goal is and how you're going to get there. Like yeah. A is your was your was the goal that you had realistic? Was the goal mm-hmm. appropriate? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe you need a new goal or maybe the way you get there is the way you're going about it is wrong. So it's almost like failure is just one of many possible responses to whatever it is that the card is bringing up, but it's the one that (laughs) he decided to fixate on, alas. And success unfulfilled as yet. But he had his reasons, and we'll get into that when we get into his card. So yeah, so Saturn in the final decan of Taurus. So there's definitely a doubly kind of final feeling about this because of uh, Saturn, you know, kind of establishing the limits uh, because it's the final decan, uh, because the Earth cards in general are related to Saturn mm-hmm. uh, in the form of the world or universe card. So we're really looking for some form of closure here. But perhaps that's the failure, in a sense, sort of like if you if you stop here, then the story's really over. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think you what you have to do is, you know, reassess, like you said, and and endure Saturn mm-hmm. through this unforeseen calamity or whatever it may be. Or whatever yeah. it may be, yeah. Because it's only through more labor that you're going to get through it, you know? <laughs> right. Because it's related to the universe or world card and the Hierophant, I think that there's almost a discomfort with the world, you know, implied by that, you know, with the Hierophant sort of puts a spin on it that suggests that the material world is never going to be enough. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that it's always going to let you down in some yeah. way, which is why you need the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> yeah. To to think about the other Saturn cards is very, very interesting because you know, unlike with the Mars cards, where we had a little bit of, you know, productive and constructive kind of Mars getting to work energy. Here we have the failure, strife, sorrow, oppression, and indolence. So, <laughs> uh, so Saturn in Taurus, seven of discs or pentacles, failure. Saturn in Leo, five of wands, strife. Saturn in Libra, three of swords, sorrow. Saturn in Sagittarius, ten of wands, oppression. 
Eight of Cups, Pisces, uh, Saturn in Pisces, indolence. And although I don't necessarily, again, subscribe to all those keywords 100%, kind of like this one, they do give you a certain feeling. A flavor. <laughs> the flavor of Saturn is bitter. <laughs> That's right. Seasoned with your tears. Yes. Bitter and salty. Saturnine. And I guess, you know, just to talk about Saturn for a second, because it seems always so incongruous with the fact that we have the world card the world or universe card, which seems like such a joyous card in a lot of ways. You know, I guess we talk about Saturn as subjectively imposing the limits we don't like on us. Yeah. You know, and maybe there's a mystery in the, in conflating Saturn and Earth that you can only experience Saturn as a positive force if you identify with the Earth. Maybe. I don't know. You know, like if like if there's a chop wood, carry water kind of thing about it, if you Mm. believe that the labor is the end in itself and can find a way to take joy in that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Perhaps that's the key. There's something about that to me in like the the figure who is surrounded by the the boundaries of the earth, if she is at one with that, if she's comfortable with that, fully expressing herself and not trying to leave then it's going to feel better than if you're like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> Conversely, though, just to play the devil's advocate, there's yeah. also like rising above the material and transcending it mm-hmm. that I can see also as part of the universe card. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that as another way to or, work with. Yeah. Or, or, in or a sense, work with it. You know, we talked about this in the last card, the seeing the divine in everything. Yeah. So you are no longer surrounded by the things of the material world. You're surrounded by the divine. Yeah. But it's really hard to see the divine in failure, strife, sorrow, oppression, and indolence <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you're subjectively experiencing them yeah. on this mortal coil. Easy to say, hard to do. So this is the period of May 11th to May 20th, um, sort of the spring rounding the bend up here, fall heading into winter down south. Tends to be pretty lovely around mm-hmm. here right about that time. It really is. And actually, that reminds me of the fact that something that Austin says in 36 Bases, that the Litai are mm-hmm. associated with this Deccan, and the Litai are these spirits of pleasure and happiness, and that if you pay too much attention to them, then you will lose your way, hmm. because you will not persist I, the um, labor you should. Didn't he say that they were related somehow to prayer? I thought the word li, uh, oh litoma uh, yeah, lit- litany prayer, yeah. prayer there that was there was prayer. a connection between um the litai and litany and prayers it kind of makes sense that when things are beyond your control you know you turn to faith or 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 prayer when at times of failure um <laughs> but what what I think is really funny is I have this um have you ever heard of the devil's dictionary Ambrose Bierce? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so the definition for prayer in that uh, is a form of begging, unusual in that it's often practiced as a solitary activity. When practiced in groups, it's normally referred to as worship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I just thought it was perfect for this just because of the, you know, the begging. And we had the, we've had the beggars in the last two cards um, in the, the Waitsmith deck anyway and... And the idea of in this card, 
the crop failure might be a time indeed to pray. <laughs> yeah, so he, he associates this decan with the string of prayer beads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that a lot of the sort of celebrations we associate with the cards of Taurus are essentially propitiatory rites, prayers to the unseen forces to be nice to our crops and herds so that we don't face disaster. Yeah, so I think we talked a little bit last time about those two star clusters in mm -hmm. in Taurus, the Pleiades and the Hyades, and they seem really appropriate for this card in that they're both associated with planting, you know, reaping and sowing the Pleiades in a more positive sense of timing when to plant and uh, when to harvest, and the Hyades in a more negative sense as like a destructive rainy season that mm -hmm. can cause. And they're both associated with weeping and mm, tears interesting which seems interesting in terms of this particular decan as well yeah and they were both have mythology around them around seven sisters so this being a seven card again it kind nice. of it kind of fits yeah so the pleiades were seven sisters um daughters of atlas who were virgin devotees of artemis who were set in the sky when Venus changed them into doves. Mm -hmm. So again, we have Venus and, mm, nice. and seven and, uh, but they, they're said to weep for one of their sisters who is lost. Mm. And then the Hyades also is seven daughters. They're called the rainy ones and they're considered an ill omen both for planting and for sailors, um, being the stormy rainy season. And they also weep for their brother who drowned in a well. Sad. Mm. Sad stuff Very there. Sad. Not to mention the most baleful star in the sky, Kaput Agul. Yeah. The, um, we talked about, when did we, yeah, we, what the episode? Princess of Swords we did because she has the Gorgon's head on yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Medusa head. Yeah, but yep. I think in terms of tropical zodiac, yep. it falls here. It falls here. Yeah, it does, late, does late indeed. Taurus. Yeah, like yeah. 26 degrees of Taurus. 27 or 26 or 27. Pretty yeah. sure it's 26 Taurus. Yeah. Again, a story of sisterhood. Mm hmm. Right. And a very sad story. Yep. <laughs> uh, and the other thing that I thought was interesting about that myth, uh, the Gorgons, was that people do make algal talismans because although the star is so malefic, it also confers protection, mm -hmm. which is something you really yeah. want in this decade. The Medusa as a guardian yeah. on the uh, Aegis of Minerva. <laughs> right. It's a way of turning away those evil spirits from the things you're trying to protect, the crops and the herds or whatever it is. And as a fixed star, well, it has a lot of malefic associations like beheading and various <laughs> things of that nature. Um, it's also associated with the divine feminine and feminine creativity and artistic yeah. endeavors. So there's definitely something about the Venus qualities of a seven that plays through those stories of creativity and sisterhood. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. In complicated ways, probably filtered through the lens of the patriarchy, mm -hmm. you know, darker yeah. than they needed to be. Yeah. But, but interesting. And Venus has a, her dark aspects and light aspects, you know, yeah. both. You mm -hmm. know, the morning star and evening star. She has uh, one form that I kind of thought was funny just because of politics, but um, <laughs> <laughs> one form of Aphrodite in her dark form is called Melania. <laughs> I guess that makes the, sense. The black one or the dark or the, one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, this is a seven in her darkest form. And I think it's Crowley who said something about, you know, Venus is very unhappy to be cast out of heaven. Yeah. To be down here on the earth plane. That's worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He says something like that. He says that. Somewhere. He says that uh, the greatest catastrophe that can befall Venus is to lose her heavenly origin. And he says the four sevens are not capable of bringing any comfort and the utmost weakness is exposed in every case. I'm not sure I buy that because, you know, the seven of wands is valor. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, the seven Mm -hmm. of cups is debauch. The seven of swords is futility. Seven of discs is failure. So as sevens, I guess there's always a striving. There's always like a seeking and trying to overcome the challenges in the seven. But the seven of wands as valor, you can't escape the, the sort of individual courage of that card. You know, to me, right. I never find it that dark. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> but there's always a sense of some sort of struggle yeah. um, with sevens. Yeah, because it's it's a card where you're kind of on your own. The system is the eight, and it's not there yet, <laughs> whether you're struggling against it or towards it. Something that Austin says about this deck, and I, I like a lot, he said, apotropaic magics ward off evil and insurance policies remediate it. So again, this is that sort of like equilibriating of Taurus we were talking Mm -hmm. about where Taurus tries to keep a steady keel. And, you know, we have the anticipation of the problem in five and here the remediation of the problem in seven, trying to fix everything and bring it up to the same level. Yeah, I sort of feel like the five is the insurance policy and the seven is like the warding off the evil, whatever it may be. weevils, (laughs) weevils, <laughs> bugs, predators. <laughs> we should talk a little bit about Netzach. Yeah, um, we should talk you know, about Netzach. Venus and all that. It's so interesting, Netzach. That concept of victory is really important. We've mentioned this before in a lot of our other sevens and probably also in uh, some of the majors associated with Netzach. That, that's the kind of victory that is the victory of enduring or persevering not the victory of like defeating everybody and getting a trophy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's survival. Like you win because you live. <laughs> it's a, it's a very hard Safira to understand too, yeah. because it's the opposite of intellectual understanding. It's opposite of Hode and the eight. It's more like the right brain than the left yes. brain. Yeah. I saw it. Uh, I think Rachel Pollock described Netzach as kind of like, the leadership to rally others to the cause, whereas the eight, the hood is more about the community all pitching in together. So there's like a charisma and emotion associated with Netzach yeah, yep. that is not there in Hode. Yeah. Almost an illusion, maybe. Or a beguiling more yeah. than illusion, like the powers of Venus to attract. Yeah, magnetism. Yeah. And it's interesting just that sevens are rather difficult in the deck and Venus is probably do the patriarchy kind of <laughs> maligned in many ways. And yet the Golden Dawn said that they were under the rulership of Venus. Right. The symbol of Venus being the only one that encompasses all the Sephirot. Venus mm-hmm. is more powerful than she's given credit for. That's right. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and when I think of like the association of Venus with Netzach, I think about like the ability of life to continue in any form, you know, no matter what. It's like you can destroy a building, but 
five years later, it will be covered in the works of nature. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Another thing that I was thinking about is the day of creation associated with Netzach, which is the fourth day when God created the sun and the moon. And that's really interesting because Netzach connects to Tiferet and mm-hmm. to Yesod. Uh-huh. You know? yep. <laughs> it also connects to Chesed but, and to Hod. But its placement makes you think about that sort of connection of opposites and trying to connect and reconcile them the way Venus does. That's what Venus does as a power is connect people, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's That's her power, whether yeah. it's, you know, in procreation, but or just in friendship and business. I mean, Venus has a lot to do with both love and money and, and the power of connection between people. Yeah. And that's really interesting to think about, too, because we talked, we've done this sequence of five, six, seven, and what's the power of Mars to separate? Yeah. So on the five side, we had separation. On the seven side, we have connection. And then for a moment in the six, we had a perfect harmony. Yeah. <laughs> for a brief shining moment. Yeah. <laughs> in, in this seven of discicals, we have to figure out, and we want to align ourselves on the side of her persistence through whatever trauma it is that happens, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, the that growth makes of me life. Think of the, you know, the, one of the magical weapons of Venus being the girdle. Oh, the, yeah. the term gird your loins. Yeah. You know, to get through it. <laughs> yeah, and get, get yeah. to it. Get through it. <laughs> Yeah, it does sort of tie into the warrior qualities of Venus. Yeah. The Babylon. There's another idea about, it kind of touches into what you said about, you know, the difference between Netzach and Hod. Mm-hmm. That in Netzach, there's this idea of gods as being the creations of the created. Mm-hmm. And that it's kind of like a group mind thing. It's not rational, like in, in Hod. It's mm-hmm. more... um archetypal and emotional. Kind of interesting, the um, angel and demon associated with Netzach. The angel is Haniel, the, you know, who is the angel of Venus. And, you know, she's just sort of, the angel is sort of associated with joy, etc. I actually did a Haniel working last year. I think Chris Warnock led one it was a lucid dreaming or vivid dreaming kind of dream recall working. That was really cool because I did manage to go lucid after it. And like, that was my one lucid dream that year. But the again, there's that sort of like quality of wanting to connect and draw out the material from the from unseen the, realms, right. you know? Yeah. And then the archdemon is Baal. So oh. Baal, who mm-hmm. is associated with invisibility, so again, there's this darkness, sort of like darkness yeah, and yeah. like unforeseen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The things mm-hmm. that you can't put your hand on, the things that you can't be sure about, the things that are beyond sight, which to me is very much of the nature of this card. You're mentioning these angels and stuff, and I've not had much to do with those through these explanations, but I happen to run across one of the angels for the seven, you know, how every uh, minor card has yeah. two, two associated with it. Yeah. Well, one of the angels associated with this card is one that I get interacted with all the time, and you probably do as well. It's the library angel. <laughs> do you, That's it's actually a thing. There's an angel called Harahel or sometimes called Herochiel. And it's wow. the, it's the angel of books and learning. And you know how sometimes you're looking for a piece of information and you find it in some random way, in some yeah. weird way, like you happen to open an unrelated book or just get attracted to a title at the library and you're like, Oh my God, this is just the bit of information yeah. I needed. Yeah. That's 
Harahel, that's, or Harochiel, and that's associated with this card. And that happens to me all the time. So I'm like, oh, I kind of like this card a lot better now. (laughs) Yeah. Knowing that, you know? That's really interesting. So sort of surrendering to, to the unknown to find your answer. Yeah. The unknown, like providing in this case, rather than uh, taking away that angel, in addition to being associated with books and learning is also, of course, Taurus associated with banks and the markets and treasure. Of course. So, right. But I kind of look at at those times where you find that bit of information. It's like a treasure hunt. It's like you Mm -hmm. suddenly found this like treasure and and it's always so surprising and and so pleasing when it happens because you're just like, it's unexpected. Exactly. And and it's a gift. That's (laughs) fantastic. I like that a lot. Library angel. I I need a representation of that angel. (laughs) Thank you. How awesome. Yeah. So... I like this card a lot more, knowing that there's a mm-hmm. library angel, at least that's something that happens to me a lot and um, that I like when it happens. So I can associate yeah. this card now with that rather than uh, some of the lesser pleasant things that are associated yeah. with it. Yeah, libraries are kind of like that in the sense that they are sort of static and inert until something interrises or emerges yeah. yeah from it so the decans associated uh with this are interesting well i guess we're getting a little bit away from the agricultural models and more into the ridiculous beast models here um <laughs> picatrix has a man of reddish complexion with large white teeth exposed outside of his mouth and a boy like an elephant with long legs and with him one horse one dog and one calf it's like a menagerie in here. What's a boy like an elephant? Boy like an elephant with long legs. Yeah. Is that like a giraffe? One I horse, don't one know. dog, and one calf. Well, it's very bestial. Um, it's very you know, Animal bestial. husbandry, I guess, uh, yeah. to being another function of Taurus. But I'm not sure how we get from there to sloth, poverty, misery, and dread. I guess I would dread the man with his white teeth exposed outside of his mm, mouth. That yeah, sounds kind of disturbing. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you can you can see elephant and and calf both being Taurus symbols. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. Horse and dog, not as much. Not so much. Although moon, well, mm. well, actually, dogs can be associated with Saturn occasionally. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really sure what's going on with that. Yeah. I mean, if if we can't make a connection, it's got to be pretty difficult. Right. (laughs) Agrippa has, this seems to make a little bit more sense, a man in whose hand is a serpent and a dart, uh, of which the signification is necessity and profit and also misery and slavery. So, you know, those that very threatening posture of having a serpent and a dart seems to be of the nature of the Deccan and the threat that it poses. Well, it makes me think of the serpent of knowledge, you know, the serpent of Eden, like there's some profit and gain in the gain of knowledge, but then there's also the misery and slavery of being cast out of Eden and forced to go work for your your bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. The price of knowledge is toil, eternal toil, something about that. Yep. Yeah, because we're going to see later in this that there's all kinds of stories of the fall uh, associated with this. Yeah, and actually thinking of the story of the fall, it's sort of like you will live, you know, you will survive, but it's going to be hard. Yeah. And that's a very much... It's going to be hard work. There. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of these meanings of this card is that uh little gain for much labor. Yeah. And, and that success only comes through labor and patience. Well, you know something really wacko that 
I found out about this card. This is the only card in the set of Taurus that I could find that had a nickname. And the seven of diamonds is known as the beer card. <laughs> the beer card? Yeah. It's like, okay, if you... Oh, I like it better now. Yeah, too. seriously. The library angel and the beer card. Hey, it's <laughs> starting to sound fun. Yeah, like take your beer into the library. Yeah, there you go. Um, it's like a wager that you can make with your friends. So like if you win the trick with the seven of diamonds, the last trick of the game... With the seven of diamonds, then your friend has to buy you a beer kind oh. of thing. It's just a weird little tradition that apparently Excellent. is out there. So, yeah. <laughs> but, well, you know, I mean, I don't know, like seven agriculture, grain, fermented. Yeah, there you go. And product. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. And And there is that. The fact that it's the last trick in the game, there's like a finality. Oh, and cardomantically, it's associated with... Arguments concerning money. Um, mm. I've also seen it refer to a small inheritance or um, a small amount of money helping you out. Just that kind generally. of makes sense in the ter- mm-hmm. in terms of the little gain for much labor. Not that right. an inheritance is labor, but the fact that you get it from losing someone. You know, you get a small yeah. inheritance. Not only did you lose the person, but you only got a small amount of money <laughs> exactly. out of the pain of it. Or you know, no matter what, they all seem to have something to do with money. All the diamond cards, and especially seven of diamond cards. Maybe because of Venus. Yeah, maybe. Seven, Venus has a lot to do with love and money. So in general, sevens, though, sometimes we don't talk about this, but sevens do have that sort of like complete set feeling to them. You know, seven planets, seven days of the week, seven musical notes, seven colors. Yeah. Kind of thing going on. Seven's a really cool and powerful, powerful number. There's something about it that is final and cyclical. So you get to the end of seven and you have to start again. That maybe is why it's failure because, you know, you're done with this and now Mm. whatever success you're seeking for needs to be started fresh to get to it. Oh, we didn't mention the virtue and vice of Netzach. Oh, uh, virtue is unselfishness Mm -hmm. and the vice is unchastity. (laughs) Or lust. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I guess Venus. Yeah, right, right. They don't seem like exactly opposed to me. Yeah, the giving of the temple prostitute versus the... uh... (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, but it does make sense to me in the sense of like this card as a card of assessment of things you know it's sort of like the faith that you have to put in the future and the labor you have to do to ensure a better future in the absence of certainty does seem like an unselfish act whereas lust of result or unchastity of intention yeah you know seems like definitely a problem yep because that's when we tend to feel that when things are not going well and we buy the lottery ticket, right? Or, yeah, right, you know, right. Yeah, or the uh, that's a lust of intention type yep. thing. Yeah, never know? works for me. Never works. <laughs> well, my husband once said to me, and I actually agree about this, that it makes sense to buy one lottery ticket. <laughs> the chances are so minuscule, you might as well. Right. It's no better with one than right. The the chances of winning if you buy one are about the same as if you don't. They say. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, so are are we going card by card now? Sure. Yeah, let's go card by card. This, I think, used to be the minor that I found hardest to read of all. It was it seemed so affectless. 
And certainly it doesn't have the obvious overtones of failure that Crowley's does. Nevertheless, I think there's a consensus, uh, at least uh, it's been expressed as a consensus by Marcus Katz and Tolly Goodwin, that this has to do with the potato blight, the potato famine. So, you know, looking at the greenery on there, that those are potato leaves. I have never seen potatoes grow in an upright hedge formation. <laughs> Awfully big potato leaves. Yeah, they are a little big, yeah. too. They're almost but like don't grape they look leaf like size. They, they do look like they might have a blight in that. You see how they've mm-hmm. got brown leaves and green or brownish leaves? in. in well, I'm going to grab it. At least yeah. in this one that I'm looking at on here. They're supposed to be a little bit withered oh, you, looking. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but then again, with potato see. blight, you never know. The green is fine, you know. Until you have, it isn't. Until it isn't. Yeah. 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 And it's like, this to me is very much like that moment before you dig up the potatoes and you're like, is it going to be okay? Mm. Or is it not? Because you don't know. There's that idea of faith. Crop failure is something being more fate. Yeah. Something out of your control that happens (laughs) yeah and that then you pray you know and then you pray humility which you know when we were talking about prayer and the litai and um Mm -hmm. and all that one of the things i forgot to mention is that's interesting in terms of this card is that uh netzak is the sphere of worship where you inflame yourself with prayer Uh, you know that that idea of filling yourself with emotion in your prayer. That's interesting. Yep. The expression on his face is sort of like, you could kind of read it a couple different ways. Katz and Goodwin say that if you do a higher res scan of the actual imagery, he comes out looking a lot more despondent. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, and it's reasonable. The potato famine took place between 1845 and 1852. So it was relatively fresh in the memory in 1909, 1910, when the deck was coming out. He's stopping in his work. He's pausing to evaluate, to try and get some clues from what he sees without really knowing what's underneath the soil. He could be hopeful or he could be cynical and it's all kind of up in the air. Yeah. You know what I associate this with is I remember that I remember that my dad was shoveling the driveway one year when he was living here with me and he kind of would stop every couple minutes and do that like oh, how much more is there to this? And <laughs> so now, yeah, <laughs> yeah, when I'm doing shoveling the driveway, I feel like that too. You know how it's like you've worked really hard and then like after being out there for an hour, the plow goes by and pushes it back into your driveway. (laughs) And you sort of, you know, and your muscles are starting to ache and you're thinking, wait a second, what's the point? Why am I doing this? How much more is there? Mm -hmm. And then you find yourself stopping more and more often. That's what I associate this card with, (laughs) the stopping. Yeah, because sometimes I see that, you know, that, leaning on the shovel kind of posture as kind of a message of the only way through this is to get back to work and stop leaning on the shovel. Yeah, you know, exactly. Even though the leaning on the shovel provides some temporary relief from the horror and, you know, and despair of having to continue the job. (laughs) Definitely a procrastination card. When I was researching this card, I found that instead of a shovel, it might be a hoe. Mm-hmm. And then there was a reference to um, a poem by Edwin Markham called The Man with the Hoe. Mm. 
and the um the poem's all about the laborer's plight. So it seemed kind of appropriate for uh and the other thing was what Waits said about this card, he said his treasures and his heart was there. Which again makes me think of the emotional component of, you know, Venus as the seven and Netzach. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. One would say that these were his treasures and that his heart was there. Yeah, I didn't even think to look at that. Um, interesting. In the main, it is a card of money, business barter, but one reading gives altercations, quarrels. And in the reversal, he says cause for anxiety regarding money, which, of course. But again, I think, you know, what's interesting about background of this card, as we talked a little bit about in the six, I think, is that we've kind of had a distancing away from the built environment from, you know, sort of maximum at the three and four with the cathedral, you know, and the five walking away from the outside of the church. And then the six being, you can see the city in the background, and now here we are in the country. Another thing to consider is the difference between this main figure and the one in the eight. So, you know, in the seven, he's pausing to evaluate. In the eight, he's simply concentrating on the task at hand and getting through it. You know, we talk about this in general. The remedy for seven is eight, and the remedy for eight is seven. Yep. Uh, on the tree, they're opposites, mm-hmm. Netzach versus Hode, uh, with the tower in between of them. So if you're stuck in a seven mode... You know, maybe you can break through it, tower, and just get yourself back down to work. Mm. On the other hand, you can mindlessly be producing like the eight. And sometimes you may need to step back in, like you do in the seven and say, you know, is this really worth it? Or am yeah. I doing this? For is the all reasons? this labor going to pay off or yes. whatever? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I like to think about that relationship between these two guys. Um, cause they look like they could be related. Yeah. The seven and the eight are. You know, both have these sort of blue workman clothes on underneath their Mm -hmm. productive gear, you know, but they have this sort of different attitude towards the work. I think that's all I got for this card. It's not, it just doesn't give you that much. All right. So Thoth, this one is super interesting. It's the, uh, the darkest colored card in the Thoth deck, I think. Oh, neat. Yeah, you're right. It's very dark. That's a lot to do with Saturn. You know, the colors of Saturn are all very, very dark, and Saturn itself is is dark. But also, it makes me think of, you know, Venus as her dark side, dark side of Venus. And even looking at the um, the Rider Waite Smith card, well, it's not dark in color. The idea of those are potato plants and they grow underground in the dark. Yeah. Know, yeah. 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 So I guess it would be uh, Venus as. Um, both the light bringer phase of Venus, but also Inanna's descent into the underworld yeah. and removal of her seven articles of clothing or veils and Or her dark sister Aresh Kigal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. The uh the darkness themes in both this card mm. and uh yeah, in all versions of this card. Yeah, Crowley has nothing good to say about this card. Um <laughs> The stake has been thrown down and it is lost. Labor itself is abandoned and everything is sunk in sloth. <laughs> Extreme passivity, blight, slavery, leaden disc of Saturn suggest bad money. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So every one of these discs has 
a face of Saturn on it. In, or a bull. Or a bull. So four Saturn discs. I guess that's matter right there. And then mm. three bulls. Yep. Three bull faces. And the important thing about this, of course, is the geomantic figure Rubeus, the mm-hmm. most malefic sign there is. And it's one that is said to look like an inverted glass. So there's some definite sense of loss in the symbol of an inverted glass. And then it's also said to be good in evil and evil in good. So that that doesn't sound that I I don't know exactly, but (laughs) I think that I mean I take it as like there's something that spoils the goodness. Oh, you know, there's evil in the good, and then there's also good in the evil. So I guess it could be used for evil purposes or something. Oh, yeah. And Rubeus, okay, so this now makes more sense to me, the man of reddish complexion in the Pikachu. Red, right. Yes, oh, Rubeus. yes, Rubeus yeah. says red. Yep. So, you know, the appearance, according to John Michael Greer, of the Rubeus figure is someone who's strongly built with red or brown coloration. Mm-hmm. Rugged face and a wilder, often threatening look, often has a deep voice and red spots or boils on the face. Nice. Uh, <laughs> nice. Charming. Reminds me of um what Esau was supposed to look like, you know, oh, the hairy man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a figure of passion and involvement in life. Its opposite is, you know, the detached form of Albus, the the right side up cup. So Albus versus Rubeus, white versus red. Also, I think it's associated with uh, Mercury versus Mars. Also, I think Rubeus is associated with Scorpio. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I get that right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Of course, the other thing about Rubeus, I don't see it in here, but it's known to be such an unfortunate figure that if you draw it first in a geomantic reading, you're supposed to abandon it, destroy the reading. Right. You know, (laughs) destroy any trace that you tried. Thou shall not pass. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been interested in sort of like the figures behind it. I I actually used to really love looking at this because I kind of thought they looked like peacock feathers in a way. I don't know. But um, I think it's supposed to be blackened vegetation. Oh, blackened vegetation. Okay. Like, again, blighted leaves. Yeah, wilted. Frosted, you know, they turn black after a frost or the frostiness of Saturn. (laughs) Yeah, it's like if you plant your basil too early Mm. and, uh, you know, frost comes and blackens the whole thing. And just like we talked about, you know, Venus in her dark side and uh, Saturn as the mother also has both the bright fertile mother and the dark sterile mother form. And so we've got yeah. Saturn here in the the sterility of the of its manifestation. Yes. So this is interesting because Saturn has a relationship in both signs of Venus. It has the three of swords the central decan of Libra, and then it has the final decan of Taurus here. And, you know, we think of Saturn as a ruler of space and time. Here is imposing limits on space. There is imposing limits on time, Mm. showing you that thou shalt not pass (laughs) the moment now or the place here. Also looking at this theme of uh, blighted vegetation in, in both decks, especially because this card follows the six of discs, it reminds me of, you know, Pharaoh's dream of the seven fat oh, yeah. years and the seven lean years. So I, I think the fat years were the six, and then now we're into the seven, and we've got the, the, the lean years. Right, <laughs> The right. blight. 
that was one of Joseph's dreams, the Pharaoh, right? Yeah. 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 And it says, um, the Ford colors of Netzach appear, but they're blotched with indigo and reddish orange, which reminds me of Taurus the geomantic colors. thing too. Yeah. Where it said the blotchy complexion. Mm-hmm. You know, what's weird about this is that unlike many other cards in Thoth, this one doesn't seem to pick up that much from its major arcana correlates, you know? Yeah. They usually have much more of a family resemblance when you put the minor between the two majors. Yeah, it really seems to just be emphasizing the darkness, the dark one. One thing Crowley said, unrelated to this card, because it wasn't in Book of Thoth, but in Magic Without Tears, he has a quote about failure, and he says that every failure proves that one or more requirements have not been fulfilled. Mm. So it's an appropriate way to think of failure, to look at it and see what requirement hasn't been fulfilled. You know, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about this when we were talking about the Kabbalah stuff, but the story of the Klippot is a seven story too, mm-hmm. right? Which you'll, we'll get to in your card more. Right. But it's the idea the divine light was so strong that only the supernals could contain it, but it broke. The, there was a failure of uh, the seven Sephirot below it and they fell and became the husks. And, you know, the husks in general, that reminds me of the blighted vegetation, the sort of like the, excrement of of the vegetable yeah. world. And the cliffo of Netzach, mm-hmm. the symbol is the ravens of dispersion. Again, we uh, have a, a black symbol, you know, uh, a dark, yeah. you know. Huh. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, Saturn's also ravens, bird of Saturn. Mm-hmm. Blackbirds generally. And in alchemy, ravens are, you know, death, death and initiation Memento, through a black, blackness. Mortuous, yeah, yeah. Something. Caput mortuous. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Death is the ultimate failure. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, uh, yeah, sure. So much in this card. Going, I remember like before we started to, I think maybe even before we met, I was picking your brain about the seven hells of Asiya. Yeah. Because it, there was so much going on in here that I was not familiar with. Yeah, it's, there's a lot going on here. Um, <laughs> it works. Mm-hmm. So overall, the cards based on a Golden Dawn diagram called Eden After the Fall. So that we, I think in our lovers episode, we talked about the Eve, Eden before the fall diagram that precedes this one. Now, I'm not a member of the Golden Dawn or anything like that. I can't claim to know everything about this diagram, but it was used as an initiation tool for the degree of Netzach or, or you know, four equals seven. Ah, um, yes, altar diagram. The, we have uh, it somewhere. Philosophus grade um, in their initiatory system. The diagram looks very much like this. And what it represented is Eve or Malkut was holding up the pillars of light and darkness and was tempted by the fruit of knowledge and reached down into the world of shells to, to grab the fruit. And mm-hmm. in so doing, left the tree unsupported and it shattered and the great dragon of seven heads that was coiled beneath safely in that, you know, little world of the seven palaces was Mm -hmm. released and came up and spewed infernal waters, you know, polluting the four rivers and, and God had to place a barrier between the supernals and the rest of the tree to keep them pure from this corruption or whatever. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. 
So that's what we see here. So at the very top, you see the supernals or, or mm-hmm. symbols related to them, the crown for Keter, the pillar for Chokmah, for Chokmah and the cup for Binah mm-hmm. um, in their appropriate colors. And uh, then you see these four beasts that are placed there kind of as the guardians, um, and they're directly from the universe card. So this card combines, as we've been talking about, the universe and the Hierophant. From the universe card, we have these four Kerubic beasts, and they're lined up in Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh order, just as they are in the badge for this grade. There's like a little admission badge you get, like <laughs> Boy Scout or something. I voted. Um, right. And, it's, it, and the badge has um, a Calvary cross with the 12 signs on it, but the, the, the crossbar of the cross has the four fixed signs arranged in this order as well. And the, uh, are those masks because they have the eyes that are, you know? Yeah, kind like of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why they're like that. That's just the muse decides. Who knows? <laughs> they're definitely guardians, so they could be masks. Um, then, you know, you've got the great dragon with seven heads that, you know, are grasping the seven lower sephirot. And mm-hmm. then the, the dragon grows an eighth head, and that's the one that spews the waters. That's the one that isn't grasped uh, a yeah. sphere, but has instead the waters kind of swirling out of its mouth, being stopped by the guardians and, you know, only mm-hmm. not, not making it all the way up the tree, in other mm-hmm. words. And then below, we've got those rotary telephone thing there <laughs> down. <laughs> Down at the bottom, that's the that's the um, the seven palaces of Isaiah, where the ten sephiro are enclosed within the seven. So you see the the three dots there mm-hmm. in the top, representing enclosed in one in the supernals, and then the two are Esod and Malkut combined into that one at the bottom. Yeah, the seven palaces of Asiya reference is that straight out of Golden Dawn or is it from somewhere else? That's where I I I'm like familiar. I'm familiar with it from the Golden Dawn material, but mm-hmm. it could very well have something um directly from the Kabbalah that Yeah. It yeah. comes from, I'm sure. Oh, you didn't say anything about the Tetractus way up at the top there. Yeah, that's from the universe card. And okay. it's, it's, you know, it's a Malkut symbol. It's an earth mm-hmm. symbol. It's in the feminine triangle position. It's the Tetractus. There's a, you know, there's a lot there, but it's basically bringing in those ideas of the tree and the earth, the downward progression. So it's sort of like you have this sort of perfect model of 10 up above the do not pass yeah, line. Up above the, yeah, up above the thou shall not pass line. Or Gandalf's four, four pets are guarding the, uh, yeah. And then below you have the 10, which becomes that, you know, after this fall of Eden mm-hmm. or Eve's grasping and destroying of the tree that happened, the, um, it turns into instead of the 10, the seven palaces and ten sephirot, it turns into like the ten hells, <laughs> mm. or, you know, of the more averse tree, I guess you would call it. Yeah, and it's very dark again. The, all, it's got all the colors. So the color of the card is olive flecked gold. And you see that there in the skin and scales of the serpents <laughs> are, are that color. And then the other colors are all the colors of the hierophant, red, orange, deep mm-hmm. indigo, deep warm, olive, rich brown, and the colors of Saturn, indigo, black, blue, black. And oh, yes. Black, red, and blue. that deep black background. Yeah. 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 And the black, the black, red, blue <laughs> of the infernal waters. <laughs> After this fall of man happens, mm-hmm. you know, they're kicked out of the garden, forced to toil and... <laughs> 
and work down here with the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and then that's supposedly why, you know, because Eve didn't support Adam or whatever, some second Adam Jesus had to die for. Mm-hmm. The sins of man to redeem this this error or whatever. <laughs> it's good that you told this whole story because I think, you know, it's a it's this card is not something that people can necessarily immediately know from looking at it, uh, what's going on, but there's a credible narrative that supports it. Yeah, um, and the yeah. the beast there that's awakened is is probably the beast of the apocalypse because it's, you know, seven heads and ten horns it's said to have, you yeah. know, as well as then the eighth head that it grows is said to be Leviathan, you mm-hmm. know, the great dragon or whatever. So, and also just thinking about that, you know, that this diagram is associated with the philosophist grade that's associated with the Tefira Netzak and that that's represented as four equals seven. I mean, there's something Mm. also resonant just about that in itself, the numerology of it and everything. There's something just appropriate, the idea of four and the four as being really associated with the universe card. But also sort of Jupiter versus Venus, sort of like the the great God versus the Eve figure. Yeah. It's all in there, there, just even in that, you know, which is Mm -hmm. kind of interesting to me. And that grade is the the last grade of the outer order. So in their grades, they proceed up the tree, everything below the Veil of Paroketh, or or underneath Tiferet, in other words, right. is um, right. the outer order. So this is the last grade of the outer order where the adept completes their moral training as well as um, learns about devotion to the order. They enter Netzach through the various paths that connect to it, the mm-hmm. path of the, the moon and the emperor star, depending on where you place Zadi and um, yeah. the tower. So if people are listening, they could go back to, I think we put up an extra. When we did the lover's post, we put up the diagram of Eden before the fall because we were talking about it in the lover's episode. Um, so that's up there. And then this card, I mean, we could put up the Golden Dawn diagram of Eden after the fall, but it pretty much looks like this card. Yeah. A little, little bit different, but not, not much. Oh, and the other thing, see how the card is, is cross-shaped. Well, there's definitely a resonance with the idea of crucifixion in this card because you have the Hebrew letter Tau mm-hmm. or the cross for the universe and the Hebrew letter Vav for the nail. Oh, so that yeah. idea of the nail and the cross, that idea of crucifixion, that's also part of this story is because that's this is what preceded or made that necessary. Yes. The failure that made yeah, it necessary. Yeah, this is the failure of man yeah. that made that necessary. Oh, that's really evocative. Yeah. And plus the meanings of those words. I don't know. There's something about, you know, Tau as the final letter. You know, it's mm-hmm. sort of like you have to, you get to the final letter mm-hmm. and then you must be rejoined to the divine through the Vav, which, mm. as we've mentioned, is not only represents nail but the conjunction and in hebrew Mm. yeah and there's something about being bound to the material universe in the symbolism of being bound to a cross as well as the cross symbol in alchemy i believe has something to do with corrosion which is interesting because isn't venus the said to have like 
external mm-hmm. splendor, internal corruption, which makes me think of corrosion. Well, yeah, the but um, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, there is something about the, our circle cross, uh, solar cross symboling. I think it also can. Oh, it has represent very has vertigree. Yeah, vertigree. I think. Yeah, yeah which that's, is Venusian. That's the, that's the corrosion, corrosion of copper. Right. Of, exactly. Yeah. That's it. Yep. We're both going in the same direction. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, get this card much. More than I'd like. Yeah, yeah, I do tend to get it quite a bit. And I, like I said, I don't really like getting it because I don't like the idea of failure. But I'm learning new ways to look at it, and some mm-hmm. of which we've talked about here, you know? Yeah. Especially now that I know that it's the beer card <laughs> and the library angel. So I'm going to like it a lot more going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know... I like the idea that you have to evaluate and assess and persist. Yeah. And I kind of a nevertheless, she persisted card. (laughs) I came up with a little, you know, how I was doing those rhyming things. And I like the one for this one. Sevens, in spite of being difficult, there's there's such a complete system of magic, right? Mm -hmm. So the one I came up with for this card is magic, not tragic. (laughs) That's great. Oh, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that act... In magic, you know, we talked about lust of result, Mm -hmm. but the way that you sort of concentrate all the energy and then release it and let go completely, that's in this card. Yes. The faith that it's going to be fine. Yep. Yeah. Or the certainty, actually, that you have to have. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had some amazing, like, mechanical failures with this, but one of the best ones was on a day I came to record with you, I got your son's truck breaking down yeah <laughs> on march 11th this year well rather. you remember better than me i can't it's remember yesterday I, wrote it down. Yeah. I wouldn't have remembered <laughs> yeah i so wish that i had been like you and kept a diary because i can never remember shit yeah you know i go like... through my emails sometimes to try to figure out like various <laughs> astrology works. things like i'm like oh what happened back then when this planet crossed that point and i'm like hell if i can remember <laughs> yeah no i've had I've had all sorts of literal fails. This is the one that I had the five and the seven that time when I missed the bus and had to take the expensive oh, yeah, train yeah, to New yeah, York. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. There was that one. Um, I've had just times when, like, we tried to go get Noah a driving permit and he didn't get it because of some stupid bureaucratic thing. Uh, I've had failures of sewing machines, <laughs> failures of cars, you know, mm-hmm. it's like... The weakness in the system exposed. (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of like whatever is not going to work, kind of like in a Mercury retrograde, whatever is not going to work is going to fail then. Yeah. You know, and that's traffic slowdowns are pretty common with Mm -hmm. this one. Inertia, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't like to see it, but I'm okay with it. You know, oh, and then there was, this is the card that I didn't get for, you know, when Spiffle and I were tracking. Yeah, I remember you guys were getting I was jealous when you said that. I was like, you guys don't get failure. I get failure. (laughs) Neither of us got it all the way until April 12th apparently that year but you know sometimes people ask you what's your least favorite card in the deck yeah a lot of times i pick this one just because but because you have to pick something when they ask you that and like yeah i could say there's a few more i could say but yeah this is one where i'm always just like oh i don't like the five (laughs) of swords that's the one i don't like even though you know it's like i get it plenty and i know what it is Mm. but i don't like it this one i don't mind so much because i grew up in rider weight tradition so Mm. it's not as it doesn't hit you as hard. But also, you know, as you say, beer card, library angel, assessment. Magic, not tragic. Magic, not tragic. Yeah. yeah. Let's try and wrap her up. Mm. <laughs> uh, Lord of Failure, success unfulfilled. 
all of the sort of malefic expressions of Saturn we've talked about and seen with this card and the other four that belong to Saturn in the minors. Girding the loins for action to overcome inertia. Uh, the sort of special relationship of this card to Saturn because of Saturn ruling the Deccan, but also all pentacles relating mm-hmm. to the World or Universe card. Mm-hmm. Rubeus. Yeah. And red complexions. And blotches. Saturn as Ama, the dark, sterile mother. And Aphrodite as Melania, the black one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Venus and her underground journey to yeah, see. Yeah, and Nana and Erish Kigal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, apotropaic magics and insurance policies. Magic, not tragic. Caput mm. Algal, the uh, head of Medusa. Seven sisters of the Pleiades and the seven sisters of the Hyades, both weeping. The um, library angel and the demon of invisibility. (laughs) Stamina, preservation, enduring, the concept of Netzach as Mm. endurance. The need to pray when these unforeseen wipeouts of your crop or project occur and uh, Ambrose Bierce's definition of prayer. (laughs) The string of prayer beads. Unselfishness versus unchastity. Uh, oh, the seven palaces of Asia. Oh, yes. The fall of man after the fall, where we were kicked out of Eden. Yeah, the husks of the clipote. Oh, I found out the singular of clipote. It's not clippy. <laughs> it's clippa. Clip-a. It should My be clippy. It should be clippy. Because he was evil, man. Oh, Tell man, you. that thing scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, the seven fat years and the seven lean years of uh, Joseph's dream to Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Misery, slavery, dread, uh, toiling forever in the earth after your fall from grace, potato blight. Little gain from much labor. Bad money. Leaden coins of Saturn. But the idea that failure is not full stop and that it's just success unfulfilled thus far. I like that a lot. I'm going to add thus far to like all the bad cards. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Power of Saturn. And finally, the beer card, which the is beer card. where we're headed we're, next. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, rather that, better that than the man with the hoe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you for following us through the paths of failure. Misery loves company, so I'm glad you stayed with us to the bitter end. And we shall be back next time with the cards of Virgo. Hooray! My day natal Deccan card. I um, like Virgo too. It's kind of nice to end on a and on a high note in yep. the minors. So, so see you then. And that's our show for today. You can find us as always at our online home www.patreon.com/fortuneswheelhouse. But there are also a number of other places you can find me and Mel on the internet. All of Mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarocart.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. That's also where you'll find the adorable new pocket-sized decks as well as signed and matted prints of her artwork. As for me, my book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is coming out from Llewellyn and is available for pre-order online at Amazon Book Depository and more. 
You can learn more about that at my website, www.tsusanchang.com. I also have a shop on Etsy where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints, as well as my Zodiac perfumes. Perfumes for the next month's sun signs are always on sale at the year's lowest price. All of that is at www.etsy.com slash tarotista. And if you'd like your very own Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug, we have those too. You can find them at our Redbubble shop. The address for that is redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse93 slash shop. Go on, get yourself something. You know you deserve it. Happy shopping to all you heroes of the astral plane. We so appreciate your support. <laughs>